Welcome to Oncology Morning Commute. Is immunotherapy replacing chemo in the first-line treatment setting for endometrial cancer? Morning Commute is developed by Projects and Knowledge, powered by Kaplan, and is part of a continuing medical education series. This independent CME-CE activity is supported by educational grants from AstraZeneca Pharmaceuticals and Merck Sharp and Dome. In this episode of our three-part series on endometrial cancer, Dr. Bradley Monk and Dr. Bhavana Pothuri continue their discussion by turning to some of the ongoing, and some may say groundbreaking, clinical trials for the use of immunotherapies in the first-line setting. Information about the faculty and disclosures can be found at morningcommutepodcast.com forward slash endometrial4. You can use this link to receive your credit and evaluate this program. The URL can also be accessed in the episode notes. Dr. Monk is a professor in the Division of Gynecologic Oncology at the University of Arizona College of Medicine and the Creighton University School of Medicine in Phoenix. He is also USA Director and Principal Investigator of Community Research Development at the Honor Health Research Institute in Scottsdale, Arizona, as well as Vice President and Member of the Board of Directors of the Gynecologic Oncology Group Foundation and Co-Director of GOG Partners. Dr. Pothuri is Professor of Obstetrics and Gynecology at the NYU School of Medicine, the Medical Director of CTO Perlmutter Cancer Center, and the Director of Gynecologic Oncology Clinical Trials at NYU Lagone Health Perlmutter Cancer Center in New York City. I am your host, Candace Hoffman. Dr. Monk will begin our discussion. Greetings and welcome. My name is Brad Monk. Um, I'm really, really excited to talk to you about some of the nuances in the treatment of endometrial cancer. Uh, probably the fastest pace of discovery in gynecologic cancer. Uh, as you know, we got an accelerated approval in ovarian cancer uh, recently, but it had been two and a half years <laughs> since we had had anything approved in ovarian cancer. In fact, we have been losing PARP inhibitor indications for uh, reasons that are beyond the scope of this presentation. So I'm Dr. Bradley Monk here in Phoenix, Arizona. I'm joined by Dr. Pothuri. Pothuri, uh, Dr. Pothuri, Bhavna, say hello. Yeah, hi, I'm Bhavana Pathuri. I'm a GYN oncologist at NYU Langone and Perlmutter Cancer Center. And I'm excited to be here with Dr. Monk um, to talk about some advances in endometrial cancer treatment. That's great. So we have uh, a number of immune checkpoint inhibitors uh, under development in endometrial cancer, but we also have uh, three approvals. And let, let's sort of walk our way through that. Uh, the approvals are currently in second line and are informed by the molecular signature, specifically MSI high, uh, which is definitely probably the most predictive way to determine what the appropriate treatment is. This journey started with uh, probably the largest basket trial in solid tumor oncology, which is Keynote 158. One of their baskets was MSI high or mismatch repair deficient endometrial cancer, uh, that study uh, enrolled uh, 79 patients reported by Dave O'Malley in the Journal of Clinical Oncology uh, in 2022. And of those 79 patients, there were 48 responders. In fact, within those 79 patients, there were 13 complete responders. So that's a confidence interval between 37 and 60%. But it was, it was really, really exciting, led to FDA approval. Uh, remember, we got accelerated approval agnostic of cell type 
but ultimately this completed the full approval and now this has regular approval uh, since March. So that's, that's pembrolizumab, a medication that, that you all are familiar with. Uh, tell us about the recent approval of dostarlamab and outline the Garnet study. I know a, a, a trial that you participated heavily in. Bob, no. Yeah, so um, Garnett um, was a trial that um, included a arm, um, which was uh, A1, and that looked at um, endometrial cancers. Um, there, And within that, there was a mismatch repair or MSI endometrial cohort um, that looked at um, 143 patients. And then there was also a mismatch repair proficient cohort of 156 patients. And this was recently reported. Um, and um, the response rate, the overall response rate was um, 46%. Um, and this led to um, FDA approval in April of 2021. Um, and then um, this was an accelerated approval for um, patients with um, deficient mismatch repair recurrent endometrial cancer. And then August of last year in um, 2021, Dostarlamab also received approval for um, any adult patients with DMMR recurrent or advanced solid tumors. So really broaden that um, approval category. Um, and so now we have two um, checkpoint inhibitors, both pembrolizumab and dostarlamab that are approved um, for uh, patients um, in the um, recurrent setting. And patients need options, right? So I like it that there are two. One of the things that I was very impressed in your hard work on Garnet is that it also led to approval in Europe. It's pretty rare to have a single arm trial get approval in Europe. There's some examples, let's say, uh, semiplumab and squamous cell skin cancer, uh, but this got that done. And so it brought the medication to people ex-US uh, and I was, I was very impressed by that. Um, as part of the confirmatory trial within the US, we did a study called Ruby. It was a GOG a European network collaboration, very ambitious to really move the ball forward and improve upon the standard carboplatin paclitaxel that we use in metastatic or recurrent endometrial cancer. And we did that study. And as you know, on December 2nd, there was a press release that it, that it actually worked. So this yeah. will be a game-changing uh, study. Tell us about that press release, Bob, and I know this is something you're very passionate about. Yeah, I'm just, it's, it was, what an incredible day, um, really, to, to, to hear this. So um, I am going to actually read the press release. So um, this was issued by GSK, um, Jim Perley, or Dostarlamab, Ruby, phase three re trial result meets its primary endpoint in a planned interim analysis in patients with primary advanced or recurrent endometrial cancer. Results showed a statistically significant and clinically meaningful improvement in investigator-assessed progression-free survival. RUBY is the only first-line trial to show improvement in progression-free survival for an immuno-oncology therapy in combination with standard-of-care chemotherapy in primary, advanced, or recurrent endometrial cancer. The re regulatory submissions based on the trial results are planned for the first half of 2023. 
So um, really, really exciting. Um, you know, I'm going to read one more line. Um, the trial met its primary endpoint of investigator assessed progression-free survival. It showed a statistically significant and clinically meaningful benefit in, pre, in the pre-specified mismatch repair deficient DMMR microsatellite high patient subgroup and in the overall population. A clinically relevant benefit in PFS was also observed in the mismatch repair proficient MSS patient subgroup. I, I love it that you read it because it's a complicated message that's very carefully worded. I think it's the only way to sort of tell people what the results are because that's all we know. That's that right. is all we know. And, and so in the DMMR subset, it prolonged progression-free survival. And then ultimately they pivoted and carried the alpha forward in a hierarchy intent to treat analysis. And then what about the PMMR? You said, well, it's clinically significant. So, so how, what percentage of patients are DMMR, would you say? So um, about um, 20 to 25% are DMMR. So the majority okay. are your MMRP patients. Yep. So mismatch repair proficient to non-MSI high. So I think one of the things that I'm really interested to see is how much of the difference in DMMR was really influent, an influence in the intent to treat analysis. In other words, maybe the intent to treat analysis uh, is uh, uh, driven really by the, the, the dramatic effect in the DMMR subset. So, so there's a similar study uh, where the DMMR patients are actually carved out and uh, managed differently uh, than the PMMR. And the DMMR subset in that study is substantially bigger. That study is completed enrollment. That checkpoint is pembrolizumab, and that's GY018. So sort of almost identical studies of dostarlamab so ruby, but it's a hierarchy, DMMR first carried to intent to treat, where GY018, run by Energy Oncology, also part of the GOG Foundation, uh, is carved out, and that study is completed enrollment. There's another study uh, that's called ATTEND, which is atezolizumab. We just can't talk about every agent, but that needs to be noted. That has about 550 patients and is run by the Mango Group exclusively in Europe with the principal investigator of Nicoletta Colombo. Now, tell me about DUOE. DUOE is another NGOT GOG Foundation uh, now with our, I guess it's our fourth checkpoint here that we're studying. We talked about pembrolizumab, dostarlamab, atezolizumab. Tell me what dervalumab does and what's being studied in DUOE, because I think it's really, really novel. Yeah, no, it's um, it's a really interesting study. It's a um, three-arm study. Um, you know, it's chemotherapy plus um, dervamil, the derva um, with chemotherapy, and then in the maintenance setting. Um, but it's also an arm that adds derva and olaparib. And then um, the last arm is just um, with placebo, placebo. So um, this is looking at whether the combination of a PARP inhibitor really, you know, and the idea is, does it increase the neoantigens and really help the immunotherapy work better in a PMMR subset? Um, and so, you know, I think a very novel um, idea. And I think, um, you know, 
I'm really um, interested in seeing what the results show. And I think, um, you know, something that's different in this trial was, you know, they didn't necessarily study um, the PMMR and the DMMR subset separately. So we'll have to see, um, you know, what the results are and whether they're going to be powered to really look at any subset um, because it wasn't necessarily done in a pre-specified manner. Yeah, I, I'm really excited about that. I, I think there's real hope um, uh, for PARP inhibition in endometrial cancer, uh, particularly in the PMMR subset. I don't know what, what Ruby showed, uh, but it's probably going to be hard to get better than the amazing results that we saw in 158 and Garnet. And the good news is that if it truly does work in the non-MSI high PMMR subset, which would be RMC, it would really be great because it's like you said, it, it's, it's 75 to 80% of the patients. So that's the high unmet medical need. I, I sort of look, like, look at this like PARP inhibitors where, you know, PARP works in, in BRCA and HRD, but in the non-HRD, they don't work that well. And so this is an opportunity to take that same sort of situation where uh, immune checkpoint inhibitors work very well in mismatch repair deficient tumors, but maybe we can sort of create some synergy here. Uh, tell me what you would expect for the tolerability of combining uh, a checkpoint inhibitor and a PARP inhibitor. Yeah, um, I think, you know, first of all, we know that checkpoint inhibitors are really well tolerated. Um, in our patients. And, you know, except for the, you know, small subset, like five to 7% that have really more severe immune related AEs, um, they're pretty well tolerated. And, you know, uh, all of us have, you know, a lot of experience with PARP inhibitors um, from the ovarian cancer arena and know that, um, you know, those are actually really also well tolerated. And, um, we're very familiar with um, managing um, the nausea, fatigue um, that patients experience. So I think um, it certainly is a much more tolerable regimen than the approved regimen of um, lenvatinib with um, empremberlizumab, um, which may be another option, right, for or for um, PMMR, even in the front line, if um, LEAP001 um, uh, reads out positive. So, so I think um, this, I'm certainly very excited about DOE and, and really the ability to um, potentially benefit that um, PMMR population that we were talking about. You know, I, I love that segue. So every patient in the second line should get a checkpoint inhibitor if, unless there's a contraindication, every patient. That's right. Every patient. And, and if it's MSI, they can get dostarlamab or pembrolizumab. And if they're not, they can get this pembrolinvatinib opportunity in study 309, which is the ASI uh, number, or 775, keynote 775 with the Merck. And so what that adds is linvatinib at 20 milligrams uh, with a dose reduction to 14, 10, and 8 in patients with PMMR, second line. And that was compared to physician's choice chemotherapy, as you know, which was uh, sort of the agreed upon uh, uh, standard. So that was done, uh, that at the first interim analysis, at the first interim analysis was positive. And then ultimately uh, uh, it, it was presented at ESMO, an update uh, with a, an, an improvement in response rate versus physician's choice chemotherapy from 15% to 32%. 
an improvement in progression-free survival, but most importantly, now updated because it was the first interim that got FDA approval, final OS with a hazard ratio in the PMMR subset of 0.7 with a 5.8 month improvement in overall survival. Transformational. Now you told us how checkpoint inhibitors are being added to chemotherapy in the front line. Tell us about this chemotherapy free option where the same regimen is being studied in the PMMR subset frontline, chemotherapy free, the same regimen as 775 in second line. Tell us about LEAP001. Yeah, so um, really it's um, trying to replace um, our standard frontline chemotherapy um, based on GOG209, which is uh, paclitaxel and carboplatin um, with lenvatinib and pembrolizumab. Um, and it's a randomized phase three trial in the frontline setting, 875 patients. Um, it is completed accrual, and um, I think um, we're all eagerly awaiting these results. Um, this could be an opportunity to move up Pembrolinvatinib into the frontline setting um, in um, mismatch repair proficient endometrial cancer. Yeah, you mentioned the adverse reaction. So the way I look at it is this is an oral medication, Linvatinib. Oral medications cause fatigue because they're chronic and GI, nausea and diarrhea. Also, it is an anti-VEGF and anti-VEGF causes hypertension, uh, proteinuria and other anti-VEGF related adverse reactions. And then ultimately has the immune therapy, which can cause immune related adverse events. So you got to sort of juggle three balls. And the lenvatinib, particularly if you look at the 775 study, there were only 29% of patients it did not experience a, a dose reduction. And quite frankly, most of those patients were rapid progressors. Um, and the number of patients that ultimately could, could tolerate the, the third dose reduction, which was eight, remember you start at 20, was only 13%. In fact, the, the median dose intensity of lenvatinib in Keynote 775 was 13.8. That sort of led people to sort of start at 14, which is the first dose reduction, but, but, but we'll have to see. So let's just, let's just, just given that adverse reaction sort of uh, history, which can be managed again through interruptions and reductions and other mitigation strategies, let's just say that what you talked about, DOE in the PMMR, Dervalumab, okay, and Alaparib, or, but you still need the chemotherapy, or Pembrolinvatinib in that a chemotherapy-free regimen. Uh, I'm not. I don't mean to put you on the spot because it'll depend on the data. How are people going to look at that decision between Alaparib, Pembrolinvatinib, Dervalumab versus Pembrolinvatinib in PMMR first-line opportunities? Tough question. Yeah, that's a tough question, right? Um, but I have my bias, and I think that you know. The chemotherapy is only for six cycles. And then right. the maintenance is what continues, right? Right. And, you know, I, I don't think people want to be um, continuing a maintenance therapy that's toxic. So, um, you know, I, I just think that the combination of a PARP inhibitor with a checkpoint is much more tolerable than a TKI with a checkpoint. Um, and for yeah. that reason, I think people are going to, you know, it obviously, as you said, really depends on the, you know, the data. But if if both are positive, 
Um, I think people are, patients um, and physicians are going to prefer the DOE regimen. Um, but, you know, time will tell. Time will tell. And, I, you know, as I said, when we talk, started to talk about dostarlamab and pembrolizumab, people like options. Uh, the, the good news about um, pembrolizumab and lenvatinib, there's no alopecia. Okay. And there always is alopecia basically with paclitaxel. So we'll, I hope to have another podcast when both of those studies are positive and we can sort of break them down s- systematically. Yeah, that would another, be fun. Wouldn't that be fun? Yes. Now, now, now there, I didn't, I said in PMMR, in the DMMR subset, you may not need the chemotherapy. You may just sort of be, it may be sufficient to get pembrolizumab or darstarlamab. The darstarlamab study is called Dominica uh, versus carboplatin paclitaxel in the DMMR subset. Tell us about C93. Yeah, I mean, before C93, I think, um, you know, the recent um, dostarlamab data in rectal cancer that was um, presented at ASCO, I mean, and published in the New England Journal with 100%, you know, um, complete response um, in locally advanced disease was, you know, quite impressive. And so it really makes me excited about, you know, our studies that we have utilizing um, checkpoint inhibitor, you know, the C93 trial, which um, Dr. Slomovitz is um, leading, is looking at pembrolizumab um, versus um, chemotherapy with um, paclitaxel and carboplatin in the DMMR subset. Um, and the EN13 or the Dominica trial is um, a very similar trial, except it's utilizing dostarlamab versus chemotherapy. Um, and that's an investigator-initiated trial and only in Europe. So, um, But I think these two trials are going to really, really change the entire treatment landscape of uh, um, DMMR endometrial cancer. And and to have a therapy that's so well-tolerated and so effective um, is going to be pretty amazing. No question. And, and then what we do when things are looking so exciting, we just, just go to adjuvant. Because all of these other studies are you know, measurable disease or stage four, very high-risk patient. But maybe. But maybe an adjuvant is the biggest opportunity. Maybe we could do that. And that is being done. That study is also completed enrollment. Again, a, a very... Very aggressive opportunity, almost a thousand patients, and that's another uh, GOGN got collaboration uh, called B21. Again, that that's really shooting uh, for swinging for the fences, as we say. But I think uh, that's something that uh, that we were very excited about. Yeah, and let's not forget about GYO20 as well. Yes, tell right? us about that. I love that. Yeah. So, um, and that's looking at the, um, you know, high intermediate risk um, DMMR endometrial cancer. And it is um, looking at um, radiation versus radiation plus pembrolizumab. Um, And so I think that's going to be a very important study that um, was done through um, the GOG CTEP mechanism. And Florbacus is the PI on that trial. And that's completed accrual. Um, we'll probably take a little longer to read out, but um, given that it's an early stage adjuvant trial, but I think um, still also um, will be very um, fruitful in, in helping us answer the role in e- an even earlier stage setting. Yeah, this has been an exciting journey for me. I, I graduated from medical school in 1988. 
that's when the staging system changed. Remember, you probably don't remember, you're too young, but patients used to get radiation before surgery. And then in 1988, they changed the FIGO stage and they said, look, why don't you do an operation and figure out if the patient needs radiation rather than uh, ultimately uh, uh, radiate everyone. And then 2004-177 was a, a, a study, three drugs versus two, three was better. Staging system was changed again in 2009, TCGA in 2013, and then ultimately accelerated approval of MSI high pembrolizumab in 2017. Uh, and, and that was really amazing. And then Pembrol and Vatnib came on uh, line uh, 2019 and then now uh, uh, ultimately got regular approval. And now we have Dostarlamab. So this, this is the, the pace of discovery here, uh, adding to chemotherapy, understanding biomarkers, uh, and ultimately evolving to a chemotherapy regimen. Those three things are sensational. So I want to leave you with the last comment here, Bob. Now, this has been very, very enlightening to me and exciting. Uh, thank, uh, congratulations again on the Ruby result. Uh, uh, the, the, the cupboard is full. We, we'll see what these other studies show, um, but I'll give you the last word. Yeah, I, I just think um, it goes to show how important clinical trials are and how grateful I am to all our patients, um, research care teams who really put their heart and sweat into, you know, getting these trials accrued and, and helping bring these new medicines to our patients. And it's certainly a really exciting time to be in endometrial cancer um, care. And, um, and it's an exciting time for all of us to continue to learn all these therapies. So we incorporate them into our practices. It's been great having this discussion with you, Dr. Monk. You, Dr. Mathuri. And I want to thank you for all you do. Uh, you know, I think the currency of being an investigator is enrollment, and you're one of the leaders, and not only do you enroll uh, Caucasian patients, but quite frankly, every patient that walks through the door is a candidate in your mind, and you live in a very diverse part of the country being New York. So thank you uh, to our audience. Thank you for joining us. Hopefully this has been productive. So long for now. Remember, to receive your credit and evaluate this program, please visit morningcommutepodcast.com forward slash endometrial4. You can find all of the episodes in this series and all of our other podcasts on your favorite podcast streaming services or download our Morning Commute app. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you.